welcome to the All Things Nintendo podcast. I'm Brian Shea from Game Informer, and this is a weekly podcast to discuss all the biggest news and games from the world of Nintendo. I am once again traveling, which means no news in this episode, but I think we have something pretty cool planned instead. Last week, one of the greatest games Nintendo has ever put out turned 20 years old, so we are going to talk all about its development and legacy. Joining me to celebrate The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker is Game Informer's Kyle Hilliard. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm now wondering if it's the only Zelda with two thes in it. Probably uh, not, nope. right? The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Right, yeah, there you go. And Tears of the I, Kingdom. I, but I think it's just Minish Cap, right? It's not I the Minish so. Cap. Yeah. But yeah, it is a little clunky when you... Because everybody just says Legend of Zelda oh, the... The Minish like, Cap. That's another one. Oh, man. So you were way <laughs> off. But everybody just says Legend of Zelda Wind Waker, right? Yeah, I think we just call it colloquially, we call it uh, Wind Waker, right? Like, it's like, you know, when you're just typing shorthand, it's like OOT for Ocarina of Time. It's never TWW. It's always just WW. I think if you asked a casual fan, what is the Wind Waker? I don't even know that they would be able to tell you that it's the, the baton. Yeah. You so know what I mean? I, I actually like, got a replica of the baton. Uh, when they were doing the tour of like the the Zelda Symphony, they right. were selling replicas of the Wind Waker because that's what the composer or the uh, the conductor was using to conduct the orchestra, and they were selling replicas of that that uh, the, the the Wind Waker baton. And I bought one, so now it's sitting next to my uh, my blue Ocarina of Time that I, I also bought. Cool, it's just a, in case musical. you ever need to change the direction of the wind outside, it's great. I was thinking in case I need to go back and fix something that happened in the past. Oh, I was talking about the Wind Waker. You're talking about the Ocarina now. Yeah, okay. yeah I have yeah, all kinds all of tools. My I can change the wind. I can travel through time. I don't know which one's more helpful. but <laughs> I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> but as I mentioned at the top of the show, Kyle, we are going to not talk about news because we're recording this pretty far in advance. Uh, instead, we're going to focus the entire show on the anniversary of The Legend of Zelda, The Wind Waker. So... Starting off, what was your experience with The Wind Waker when it first came out on GameCube? So I, let's see, I was in high school. I was, I had, by my first job, I was working at a GameStop when it came out. So as a result of that and like the sort of the excitement building up to its release, it was not only the first Zelda game, but maybe the first like major video game that I was like part of the hype cycle and bought it at midnight when it came out and stayed up late playing it. Nice. If that yeah. makes sense, right? Like every other video game up to that point had been purchased for me, maybe near when it released or something like that. But Wind Waker was the first time that I had like, okay, it comes out on this day. I'm going to go pick it up at midnight with my employee discount and I'm going to stay up late playing Wind Waker. And uh, it was, it was a joy. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I actually had kind of the uh, the opposite experience there where I was, you know, not super sold on it. I didn't enjoy the the visuals because like you, I was in high school at the time. So I, I thought I was too cool for these these cartoony kitty visuals. <laughs> I was coming off of Ocarina of Time. I was super excited about like seeing what would happen next. And then like, you know, I, I eventually I was kind of beaten into submission by all the, the great reviews, all the the people like talking about it at school, like how great it is. And I bought it and I was like, I don't I don't know. I, I don't think I ever like got past the first dungeon even. I think like the really? the, the sailing turned me off. The, uh, the the visuals turned me off. And I just I don't know. I didn't give it a fair shake. I don't think. Right. Yeah, I, I was, you know, I'm not going to pretend I was like, 
did it wasn't sort of raising an eyebrow at the visuals when they first showed screenshots. I was definitely, you know, I wanted the sort of more realistic version. But actually, I remember downloading a trailer for the game off of like Kazaa or Napster oh, or something, whatever I was using at the time. And seeing it in motion really convinced me. I was like, uh, yeah, the, the cell shaded, I don't know. But then when I saw it moving for the first time, you know, like a couple months before it came out, I was like, I was all in. I was like, this looks great in motion. This this changes my opinion entirely. So, yeah, yeah I mean, that makes it's a beautiful game in motion. But uh, let's let's go back to the start here, Kyle. To fully understand Wind Waker and kind of the reception that it got over the course of the early days of its existence anyway, I think we need to look back to the the uh, long ago year of 2000. How old does that make you feel to, to realize that's 23 years ago now? <laughs> don't I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it either. Uh, but Nintendo used to have a trade show every year called Space World. And uh, they were kind of just coming off the success of Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask. Uh, Majora's Mask wasn't quite out in the U.S., but it was out in Japan. So, like, you know, they they were kind of riding that high. And part of the show, Nintendo had Nintendo had an amazing Space World 2000 show, by the way. Nintendo announced both GameCube and Game Boy Advance. And then they released a just absolutely mind-blowing clip of Link and Ganondorf fighting but right. yes, it was the art style that looked like kind of like the natural continuation of the Ocarina of Time adult timeline visual aesthetics, which gave a lot of fans like they made them think like, oh, this is what the next Zelda game is going to look like. And they also during that Space World 2000 Expo, they gave us the now infamous Super Mario 128 demo, which also did not result in anything. Uh, but both these demos were meant to kind of just showcase the power of the GameCube instead of announcing any kind of new games. But of course, yeah. like, you know, fans took these videos to heart. But yeah, was Metroid, that... Metroid was part of that That's right. uh, montage, too. That was, again, downloaded off Kazaa, watched that thing over and over and over again, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing like screenshots of those trailers in magazines and being like, yeah. There's no way a game looks like this. And of course, there wasn't because none of those games existed. <laughs> However, like, you know, eventually we would get there. It's just like, you know, that's, I think that's why there was such a knee jerk reaction because a year later it's at space world, 2001 Nintendo, they revealed uh, what wind waker would actually look like. And I, so I sought out uh, an Awada's at Awada asks interview on Nintendo's website. And this was, I believe was to celebrate the release of wind waker HD, but he was uh, talking to AG Aonuma um, you know, he was he was the director of the original Wind Waker, and now he's kind of like the series producer, overseer of the ser the series. And uh, the cartoonish style wasn't the first proposed art direction. So uh, there's another quote from uh, the design manager of Wind Waker, Satoru Takizawa, and he says that they toyed around with the idea of continuing down the path of Ocarina of Time's aesthetic and evolving it. But Aonuma said that they had a prototype up and running. And here's Aonuma's quote: He said. It was incredibly normal and didn't exceed expectations. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, that makes sure. Yeah, it's like basically he just wasn't excited by it, but he's like, yeah, it looks looks fine, I guess, but like doesn't excite me or do anything or like you know it's, it, it looks like what I would expect a new Zelda game to look like, I guess. But they uh, they kept down the path of creating a Zelda game that looked kind of like the Space World 2000 demo, but then Aonuma says that nobody on staff was really enthusiastic about it, and then uh, he said that. Literally, like this, his words were out of the blue. Uh, another design manager, uh, Yoshiki Haruhana, introduced a new link that we now know as Toon Link. So Takizawa said, quote, 
The instant I saw that drawing, my designer's spirit came to life. And I thought, with a character like that, we can give him actions that will look and feel good no matter how he moves. And then from there, Takizawa played uh, off the look of t- uh, Link by drawing some moblins in the game that and what they would look like. And then they started brainstorming about how the combat would work. And basically, it seems like they were feeling super uninspired until this version of Link was presented. And that sparked a ton of new inspiration for the series. And that that's uh that's really interesting that like the art style kind of was like the the catalyst for this. And Aonuma actually said that this happens a lot. And he said Ocarina of Time it actually happened where as soon as they had Link and a couple of like enemies, the gameplay just started rolling downhill and they started having all these amazing ideas. Mm. So um I guess Yeah, you know, you'd you'd think it would have been a product of like the sort of premise of having the flooded Hyrule would have come first, because it's like the cartoonish visuals lend themselves really well to water and waves, but uh, it sounds like that wasn't the case really at all. No. And uh, just like when I saw the cartoonish art style and I was kind of like, I don't know about this. And same for you. You said you raised an eyebrow. Apparently Aonuma was also a little apprehensive on it because he said, uh, quote, when we first had the initial images, or no, this is Takizawa, I'm sorry. So Takizawa said, when we first had the initial images, Aonuma-san was all cool, like, oh, this is what you're thinking? Hmm. But when he saw the demo, he was like, whoa, they're so cute, they've really grown on me. And then there was a digital spy interview in 2013 where Aonuma initially decided to keep the art style a secret from Shigeru Miyamoto because he thought that Miyamoto would make them change the art style back to like the Ocarina of Time style. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, I... If anyone, you'd think Miyamoto would be like, prefer the sort of Toon Link, you know, approach. But yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's it's wild that um, and it turns out he was right <laughs> because uh, apparently he when, uh, you know, Aonuma eventually did bring it to Miyamoto. Miyamoto basically told him that the eyes needed to have some sort of reason to be so large and Aonuma joked that they should just make it so that the characters could shoot la- lasers out of their eyes just to satisfy Miyamoto. <laughs> because like Miyamoto was like, there's no reason for their eyes to be so large. They need to have some sort of like reason for them to be so large. It's and- called emotion, Miyamoto. <laughs> Come they on, express Miyamoto. more emotion. <laughs> it's, the, it's, yeah. it's the window to the soul, dude. Come the on. Windows to the soul, yes. Um, so yeah, there was a Did You Know Gaming video from earlier this year and Miyamoto that it reported that Miyamoto actually cringed the first time he saw the graphics and uh, Aonuma had a quote that it said, uh, if I had gone and talked to him from the very beginning, I think he would have said, how is that Zelda? Miyamoto had trouble <laughs> letting go of the realistic art style until the very end. At some point, he had to give a presentation against his will. That's when he said something like, you know, it's not too late to change course and make a realistic Zelda. <laughs> God, that's so funny to me. Cause I mean, the art for the original Zelda and uh, Link, um, the, uh, God, why, the the second one. Zelda 2. Zelda, what is it? Why? Adventure of Link. Adventure of Link. I don't know why it was escaping me. But like, if you look at the art that was generated for those games, I mean, that is more in line with Toon Link than, you know, Ocarina and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about like the, all the Zelda games really have always kind of changed the art style. That's why my uh, my pitch about the roguelite Zelda game is just the best idea ever, where you play as Ganon and you're trying to take over Hyrule. And if you're, you, you know, you're defeated as you are in most roguelites and then you start over from the beginning and each time you respawn, it's a different art style and a different gameplay style. 
I think that's a, a there's winning no, pitch. Some, there's some of that in Hyrule Warriors. You want to go play Hyrule Warriors? Yeah, but I mean, it's not roguelite, right? No, no. But you do play as Ganon and build an army and stuff. But yeah, having him like just get defeated and then like your run basically starts from scratch and then like, you know, you're facing a different link and a different art style and everything. I think that's a that's a crackerjack idea. And if I see Miyamoto in the near future, I'm going to tell him about it. And, and he's going to give you the legal disclaimer. We cannot accept ideas. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Please stop talking to me. He will show me the door and be like, just get out. And then two years down the road, we'll have a roguelite Zelda where you play as Ganon. Not really. Uh, but uh, going back to this conversation, it, it sounds like Miyamoto just kept questioning the team about the art style. And then eventually, like the team appeared to be so passionate that he actually pulled back and was like, all right, you know what? You, if you guys are really sold on this, I will trust you. And then he, here's the funny thing is that he said that it, with the team and like the size that they had working on Wind Waker, it would have taken 10 years to make a more realistic looking Zelda, but they could do it much quicker if they did an anime inspired Zelda game like Wind Waker. So that was ultimately what turned him around on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Miyamoto always concerned about time and money, you know, and and uh Nintendo was also kind of aware of the backlash of the cel-shaded art style and like Toon Link's look. Aonuma said they didn't really pay much attention to the online reaction at the time, but <laughs> he said, my friends seem to like it, which is <laughs> very funny. And uh, in the Iwata asked, Satoru Iwata said, if I think back, people were cleanly split into two groups with one happy and saying the characters are so expressive that it's like I'm controlling an anime and another resisting it saying it's like a game for small kids with the characters this cute. So, I mean, it was, you know. Which, to be fair, it is, <laughs> right? I mean, it is a, a toy for children that adults also to happen to enjoy when it comes to Zelda. <laughs> I don't know. Wind Waker is an extremely dark video game. We'll get into a little bit later about, like, some of the themes here. But it's, it's a, I don't know, extremely, I think is a, <laughs> a little harsh. But again, like you said, we can get into it later. <laughs> there are some very dark things in this. I mean, literally, it's a post-apocalyptic video game. For start. <laughs> yeah, well, you could say the same about uh, uh, Ponyo, <laughs> the Ghibli movie. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> um, so Iwata and Aonuma in that Iwata asks both acknowledge the thing that I think all of us have acknowledged at some point where it's like as time has passed, more people started accepting the design and it quickly became kind of an extremely popular interpretation of that character. I mean, Toon Link is in Smash Brothers now. That's a testament of it. If, it, if that sentiment that like oh he's too cute to be like a, a good character or like a, a character that adults will want to play with persisted then I, I really don't think that we would I think Nintendo would probably just bury that version of the character but you know as time has passed it's gotten more and more popular has your perception changed as it's kind of you've gotten more distant from it has my perception changed not really because I mean I, I was I liked Toon Link pretty early on like I said it all it took for me was like seeing him in motion and then like that scene you know not to jump too far ahead to like the actual game but like the sequence where you get launched into the fort like in a barrel mm -hmm. and his like his expression like cycles through all those different versions of fear yes. like I was like this is great like this really works and I see the advantage of the art style and I really love it. And so, you know, in that sense, like that kind of being my starting line, I don't think my affection or, you know, dislike of the character has really changed over the years. I do. I, I always do say that like my favorite visual version of link is twilight princess link. Mm -hmm. Um, 
even more so than maybe Breath of the Wild Link these days. But um, I, oh, wow. I've always liked Toon Link. I, I Yeah, it was just that initial first time I saw him that I was kind of like, mm, I don't know about this. So do you know the, the, the term the Zelda cycle? I'm sure you've heard of the Sonic cycle. We're all familiar with the Sonic cycle. I don't think I've no, heard of the Zelda, Zelda cycle. cycle. No, I don't think I've, I've heard that. So both Iwata and Aonuma in that Iwata asks uh, credited Bill Trinan, who is uh, he was at the time the product marketing director. I forget what he is now. I think he's, he, he's pretty high up in like the marketing team. He might even oversee yeah. the marketing team at Nintendo at this point. But he coined the phrase the Zelda cycle to describe the way like initial reaction to like the first look at Zelda eventually turns into positive ones as the years go on. I mean, we've seen that a few times in the Zelda series. Like I remember people hated the look at of like a link between worlds at first. Mm. And now that's like one of the most beloved entries, especially like the last 20 years. And, you know, there's also, you know, Wind Waker is the prime example of this, I believe. But, you know, I think there was some also negative re- reception to like what Breath of the Wild was attempting to do before launch. And then it came out and everybody went gaga over it for the most part anyway i know that there were some there were some people on game informer that were not the biggest breath of the wild fans but mm-hmm. you and i held strong in our our beliefs and i think history has proven us right yeah right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i've it, this basically sounds like the opposite of the sonic cycle if we're being honest and <laughs> yeah. uh <laughs> so Numa says that the response to wind waker was especially negative in north america but then he noticed that when Wind Waker HD was announced in 2013, the reaction from the same market was actually overwhelmingly positive. So the Zelda cycle really did prove to it. I, mean, I also, the another one that kind of popped up was uh, Link's Awakening, the remake. That was, people hated that art style when it first got revealed. And I don't know if people really came around on it as much as they have Wind Waker, but I think that it's more accepted now. And then I think Skyward Sword is another one that it wasn't really the the art style as much as it was like, Oh, I've got to use motion controls. But I think that was probably stemming from the fact that twilight princesses, motion controls weren't the best. And then skyward swords, motion controls were kind of like what it should have been all along. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I know a lot of people who just didn't even, never even touch skyward sword because I just don't so want to do times. motion controls. They just don't want to do it. I mean, aren't you one of those, right? You don't want to mess with that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I've tried so many times. I think I've started that game four times and I just I fall off in like the first like dungeon area because I'm just like, I don't want to do this. No, sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, by all accounts, it's a very great game. The dungeons are well designed and the story is awesome and it's integral to what's probably going to be happening in Tears of the Kingdom. But I just it's so hard for me to get past like kind of the wonkiness of the controls. And I know that a lot of people love the motion controls of that. And I know that Skyward Sword HD makes it so you don't have to use the motion controls instead of using the stick. But it's even that I started it on that and made it further than I've ever made it, which was only, you know, about probably six or seven hours. But I, I just couldn't stick with it. I just Good fell game. off. I want I, I maybe one of these days, like uh, I did with Majora's Mask, I will just push through, like strap on a helmet and run headfirst into this brick wall in hopes that I burst through. I mean, when it comes to controls, like it's it's always going to be a matter of getting used to it. Brian, I remember you're a big overwatch fan these days mm-hmm. right well, I, I remember I when overwatch came out i remember you coming to my desk at the time and saying you didn't like the controls of overwatch yeah and you didn't think it was going to click with you just it's it's just that thing you just got to give it some time like you just have to let yourself get used to it and you will and it'll be great yeah overwatch one was uh it's one of my favorite games of all time yeah see so i i definitely i have had those moments where it like just clicks with me all of a sudden and it's it's great so uh getting back to wind waker and like kind of the feedback that Nintendo was getting. So 
Nintendo actually saw all the feedback at the time and then they were like, all right, well, what should we do? And they were like, we could dial it back to kind of satisfy the American demand. But then they were like, you know what? Let's just jump in with both feet and create something new instead of trying to like make it something that like is universally appealing. And Aonuma had a quote that said, developing a game timidly would have been the worst thing. So we plunged ahead, determined to go all out, hoping to gain acceptance. And I I think they got it. (laughs) Safe to say. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo is definitely one of those because like people, you know, you get that question as like a big Zelda fan or Mario fan. And it's like, what do you want? What do you want the next Zelda or the next Mario to be? And my answer, my answer is always kind of like, I trust them to like have an idea that they're excited about and go for it. I I don't think my sort of desire should dictate what they want to create. Cause if if I do that, it's just going to be pretty familiar and frankly, probably boring. So like they're, they're, you know, when it comes to those teams that work on Mario and Zelda in particular, they're, they're the ones that I trust that are like, if they are excited about something, I bet it's pretty cool. And I'm going to, I'm going to let, I'm going to be excited for whatever that is and, and play it. Yeah, I mean, they have proven time and time again that they have such a high success rate for when they try to implement new ideas into franchises like Zelda and Mario. And, uh, you know, I, I it's it's gotten to the point where it's like, I don't know about this, but, you know, in Nintendo we trust is basically kind of the, the approach I have to take at this point because yeah. they've proved me wrong so many different times and when my early reaction is negative anyway. Um, but... So getting to something that you were talking about, maybe the other defining characteristic of Wind Waker, the Great Sea. And you know what? This was actually one of the earliest plans the team had for the game was uh, making it so that Hyrule would be flooded. And in that Iwata asks, Aonuma had a quote that said, uh, we liked how we could use the open sea in designing the mechanics of the game world. And more than anything, we thought it would be interesting to show the sea in that visual style. So there you go. I think we got into a good flow with everyone coming up with ideas about how the islands in those seas should be like and what people living there would be like. And then there was um, an interview with Nintendo Dream Magazine translated by Did You Know Gaming? And it said that they were originally planning on using a theremin as the primary instrument in the game, which is kind of an electronic device that you lay on your lap. And then you conduct without like use of your hand. It picks up like your motion over the top of it. And there was like a radio antenna kind of, and you sort of float your hand next to it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Miyamoto didn't like the way that you needed to play. Cause like the way they had it was you were going to place the controller on your lap or on a table. And then you used both hands on the dual sticks to like do the motions that they wanted you to do. And Miyamoto didn't like that you had to place the controller down and use both sticks, so he overruled it, and then the team settled on the Wind Waker baton instead. And no one would have done that. <laughs> no, it, it, it would have been a nightmare. I mean, but again, who knows, because Nintendo is right more than it's wrong, it seems. They're trying these, these... something. Yeah. yeah. Also, like, um, a theremin is very much, like, a contemporary instrument that uses electricity and, like, waves. Like, I just, it just would have felt out of place. It would have felt thematically wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. But hey, you know, I don't know. Maybe it would have been great. <laughs> but the other reason for the Great Sea was that Aonuma said they didn't want to just recreate the Hyrule from Ocarina of Time, so they decided to sink it underwater so they could make it kind of like a dramatic transition. And he said, uh, quote, at first we had plans for primary and alternate worlds like A Link to the Past, where you could go back and forth between present and past Hyrule, but we couldn't make something like that in the limited time that we had. And this actually becomes a theme, this uh, limited time that they had. You know, we, we talked about how Miyamoto was like, oh, it would have taken him 10 years with the team size they had and the deadline, which just wasn't realistic to create a realistic looking one. So that's why he was ultimately okay with the anime style. 
Uh, and then you hear Aonuma referencing the limited time that they had. Um, so yeah, you're going to have that as a recurring theme as we go deeper into the development of this game. And then they also, you know, they they had that this kind of first experimentation in Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask with like eccentric characters. I don't know. There's, there's, there's I mean, there's plenty in Majora's Mask. There's some in Ocarina of Time, but Wind Waker is where they really felt like they kind of hit their stride. And did you feel like Wind Waker's characters are more eccentric than Majora's Mask's characters? Uh, no, uh, not I. That's not something I felt. I, I mean, I don't really remember a lot of Wind Waker characters standing out to me, other than the Red Lion and the and Zelda herself, Tetra. And your grandmother is pretty grounded, and your sister is pretty grounded. Like, like the shopkeeper is really like out Beetle, and about, you know? Yeah, like, Beetle was introduced in Beetle. Wind Waker, but. Yeah, I guess I never really thought I would always. I, I, yeah, also, I, I mean, Majora's Mask is where Tingle was born, so that's always going to be like the the like line in the sand for eccentric characters to me. Plus, but also Majora's Mask is so much more about like getting to know characters mm-hmm. and like learning about their life and and seeing their life three days at a time. Where Wind Waker is a you know more traditional Zelda game where you, maybe you just sort of overlap with someone for a moment. Um, but that's interesting. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't think of Wind Waker as having necessarily eccentric characters or extra eccentric, you know? Well, I think it's also largely in part to the, uh, the art style, allowing them to be so expressive. Because Majora's oh, sure. Mask, yeah, like, you know, there's, there's plenty of, like, weird personalities and everything. But, like, the art style, the animations were so limited and, you know, not being able to really make their faces do a whole lot. With Wind Waker's art style, it was just like you could make their faces stretch in any way you wanted to make their eyes like obviously pop in like different ways. Like, you know, that those eyes that Miyamoto hated so much. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that that also helped a lot. Like there are so many memorable characters throughout the islands and like the fact that the islands all feel like distinct places that you're visiting. I think that really uh, gives a lot of credence to this idea that like they were just really hammering home the, the eccentricity and the kind of diversity of the characters that live on these islands. Um, but as the team got close to the, uh, the end of their development cycle, they actually realized <laughs> that they didn't have enough time to finish all the dungeons so they mm. actually took two of their planned dungeons with, uh, and they replaced it with what I think is probably the worst part of the entire game, which is the Triforce quest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, maybe we save our sort of critical sort of thoughts about Wind Waker for later, but um, lack of dungeons is one for me. Yeah, I mean, well, the Triforce quest, cool in theory, because basically you're you're sailing around and you have a map and you have to fish out the pieces of the Triforce out of the water because, you know, Hyrule was flooded and, you know, you're trying to find the pieces of the Triforce before Ganondorf can. And it's uh, it's a cool idea, but God, is it tedious? It just takes forever. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I don't know if you want to like I said, I don't know if you want to get into it yet, but like it's funny because I, I really like Wind Waker a lot. I think it's a great game, but it's it's kind of low on my Zelda ranking or like, you know, lower middle. And I think if I were to talk to someone and be like, yeah, I'm, eh, Wind Waker, eh, you know, like I'm kind of like ho-hum on. I think people just assume it's like, oh, you just didn't like the art style. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's the part I did like. 
<laughs> it's kind of like the structure of the game and there aren't many dungeons and I kind of don't love the act of sailing that much that all kind of pull it down a little bit for me but like the sort of tone and aesthetic like that's the part that I really love it's just the way it looks and I like the like like that that world is cool to sort of be in um but mechanically there are some parts and like the sort of uh like we're talking about the pacing and the overall design and what you need to do are are some of the things where I kind of don't get as excited about. You know, I think some of the dungeons are incredible. I think the enemy designs are amazing. Combat's good too. Yeah. I was combat, saying the combat oh, might be the best in the series. Like it's, yeah, it's up there with like twilight princess in terms of like my favorite combat in Zelda. And I, it might be even better than twilight princess, to be honest. Like I just love how the moment to moment combat feels in wind waker but yeah the sailing it it's uh it it can be a problem and the triforce quest really accentuates that i think where it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a a fun time right (laughs) that's the big thing it's just not fun it's just like oh i gotta go over here now i gotta go over here now and then you eventually get them all on it it's a very cool like the end the end game like where you're you're going up into the final sequence is unbelievable one of the best kind of final stretches of any Zelda game, I would argue. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, you had talked to me about doing this uh, chat and I was in the process of kind of like plugging in my Wii U to um, buy stuff off the eShop before it closed down anyway. And I had started Wind Waker HD when I came out, but I never finished it. So I, you know, booted up the Wii U, made a couple purchases, and then I loaded up my Wind Waker save, which I, I, which I realized like at the time, like when I booted up, I was like, oh, I think I'm on like, this is like the last dungeon. And um, I actually, it's the sequence, like you finish a dungeon and then you go underwater for the first time. Oh God, it's so good. And you get the master sword. So that was the part that I played through for this discussion. I played like an hour, hour and a half or so. And that was like, I was like, this is really great. Like, this is cool. Like finishing up that dungeon and going underwater for the first time and getting a glimpse. Like I, I love like being underwater and sort of looking out into the distance of Hyrule because like you can't go explore it or anything, but it does a good job of just like making you excited at the idea that it it was there, you know? And Mm -hmm. then like you go and I forgot there's actually a statue of like adult link in that castle. So they have an art, they have like an, an, uh, you know, Miyamoto approved version of adult tune link in the game technically, which is like, I don't know that, that all that stuff was like really cool. And it was exciting to be, exactly at that point in the game and got and it made me kind of think like geez should i keep playing this <laughs> like maybe I should just keep going i mean that's one of the most iconic parts of the game right like it's got i think right. the most like the three that stick out in my mind are the barrel scene where you're getting launched into that dungeon for the first time and like you know the the countdown as they're, they're about to launch him and oh, yeah, he, he's going through all the different emotions like from like determined to Kind of worried to horrify. Oh God, this is happening. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. <laughs> and then uh, I would say the Hyrule sequence that you were just describing, where you, you descend to underwater Hyrule, Hyrule Castle, and then I would say probably the final battle. Yeah, the Those end. Are probably yeah, the three most iconic to, parts. Uh, I think it was Janet from over at Kind of Funny and Min Max recently, and she was like, "I don't remember if I beat Wind Waker," and my response was like, "You would remember if you beat Wind Waker because it's mm-hmm. kind of." It's kind of unforgettable. <laughs> God, the ending is so good. And uh, we'll talk about that in just one second. But uh, we, we were talking about the combat. And Aonuma also said this was thanks in part to the art style, which 
I did not expect at all. He said that the art style allowed for exaggerated movements thanks to the stylized cartoon aesthetic, which I guess mm. makes sense. But I, I, when you, if you would ask me, like, what parts do you think were most influenced by the art style of Wind Waker? I don't think combat would have been up there. I think like, like you had pointed out early on, like the fact that it's the great sea and like, they wanted to see what that, all that water would look like with this aesthetic. Yes, that makes sense. The fact that, I don't know, maybe you're like the, the enemies are so like kind of large and, and like very, very exaggerated in their, their, kind of proportions yeah, and everything I, yeah that was a sort of a thing that kind of stuck out to me playing it recently when you fight those you know moblins or whatever is that what they're called moblins in the wind waker like sometimes yeah. they kind of change names is that they are like three times the size of link so taking them out like doing those parry rolls where you get behind them and stuff like that is like really empowering and cool because it's like you're tiny taking on these giant like pig monsters and it, and it feels good yeah, it absolutely does. And I love that little, like, the act of, like, rolling to the side and doing, like, kind of like the, the tornado slash that he can do. Yeah, getting God, behind them. So good. It's cool. Yeah, but that but it's funny because that parry system, or I don't know what you call it, it's not really a counter, but, like, it just says, like, press A now, and then you do, like, a crazy roll. Like, that seems like something that could have been in other Zeldas, but I don't think it, I don't think it really was. I don't, I mean, you can parry in Breath of the Wild, but you can't roll around behind them. Yeah, smoothly. it's, it's not like the full almost, sweet combo, right? Yeah, unless I'm, I'm misremembering. I could be wrong. I don't think but. so, but that would, that, yeah, but it would be great to see that research. Like, that's, that's the stuff that sticks out to me with the combat. Kyle, what do you think about the soundtrack of this game? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a highlight. It's, um, it's funny because, like, the things that stick out to me are the sort of more low-key songs, right? It's not the big, epic, sweeping, like, Zelda themes that are, you know, in other games, but, like, just, like, the island music, you know, the the, the, the music that plays on your home island, the start screen music. Oh, yeah. The, the, like, just sailing music. Like, those things are fantastic. The nautical themes of the game are so apparent in the soundtrack and, like, the compositions and everything. It's just a perfect and it still sounds like a Zelda soundtrack which is the remarkable thing because it, it oh, sounds yeah, like absolutely. a pirate game soundtrack but it also sounds like a Zelda soundtrack yes yeah yeah so the composers there were, there were four main composers here it was Kenta Nagata Hajime Wakai Toru Minigushi, Minigishi and then of course Koji Kondo and here's where we're going to get back into kind of the the rushed deadlines and development cycle and everything in a 2002 interview, Aonuma said that the fact that they had four composers was due to the rush development schedule and scheduling conflicts trying to fit people in to their timeline. And like, really, like, it's weird because like the more research I did, the more I saw like that decisions were made to accommodate for like this rush development cycle. Uh, do you want to guess how long it took to develop Wind Waker? Three years? Something like that? According to the thing that I saw, it was a year and a half. Why? <laughs> so Why didn't they take three years? At one point in the Iwata Asks interview, Aonuma described it as, quote, a mad dash. And then there was uh, that same Nintendo Dream interview that Did You Know Gaming translated. Uh, script and event planner Mitsuhiro Takano said, quote, it was painful when we were making it. We really couldn't go home. When everyone came into work in the morning, I'd move from where I slept on the third floor to my workstation on the fifth floor. 
and then go back to the third floor at night. I had no idea what was happening in the outside world. <laughs> like who? I mean, it's like, especially at Nintendo, right? I understand the uh, timelines at smaller developers and publishers where it's like you have to generate income we just need this to be out the door so we can start having some money coming to this company but like with nintendo i mean you know obviously you don't want to take like 10 years to make a zelda game but it's like who who's making that decision like who's giving them the deadline is it miyamoto is it like the ceo like who is it like we need the GameCube is struggling and we need a hit right away? Like, I, I'm curious who makes those yeah. just that specific decision. You know? Well, it's interesting because when I was sitting down with Aonuma in 2019, literally five minutes, 10 minutes after Tears of the Kingdom or what was just then known as the sequel to The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild was revealed at E3. I sat down and, I, you know, they told me, like, hey, this is this interview is strictly about. Link's Awakening. And I'm like, all right. But at the end, you know, you get get your little questions in. And yeah, I yeah, asked him about a, like... That's a good tip for game journal. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta save the questions that they don't want you to ask for the, like, the end. <laughs> yes. But I, you know, I asked him about like, hey, why do you want to return to this version of Hyrule? And, you know, I asked very nondescript questions. Asked him if uh, Fujibayashi, Hidemaru Fujibayashi, was, who was the director of Breath of the Wild, was coming back to direct this one. He said yes. And then I asked him... Uh, are you going to give yourself longer than a year? Because, you know, that's how long he had for Majora's Mask. I was like, did you learn any lessons from only giving yourself a year in Majora's Mask? And he was just like, I'm going to give myself a little bit more time this time around. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he did. Uh, he absolutely <laughs> did. You know, here we are four years later and it's finally going to come out. As they should, hope. to be clear. Take your time. Please. Absolutely. So I, it seems like they have learned their lesson from kind of this mad crunch. I remember in that Did You Know Gaming video, and I definitely go check that out. It's it's from earlier this year, so it's it's very new information that was translated to English, seemingly for the first time. Um, Aonuma, I think it was Aonuma anyway. He he had a quote where like he was like talking about how he was working and like he just kind of lost track of all the days, weeks, and months. And he was like, "Yeah, I noticed one day that like people started coming in with jackets, and I was like, why is that?'" And he's like, and then he realized like it was starting to turn cold outside. <laughs> oh, jeez. You just completely lost track of time. Which, by I guess, like, um, I'm sure this is in your notes. As far as I understand, that's the first one he was sole director on, right? Because Ocarina and Majora, he had was like co-director or like, you know, those those games have Ocarina in particular apparently had like a, a bunch of different directors. But yeah, well, but that was I, when I, yeah. that, that was when Miyamoto really started transitioning him, the Aonuma to kind of the face of the Zelda franchise. He was like, okay, like, yeah, you know, Breath, uh, Ocarina of Time was kind of like put, like, prove it moment, right? And he did, obviously, because that yeah. game's one of the greatest games ever made. And uh, Majora's Mask, you know, clearly Aonuma did it again there. And then Wind Waker was, it seemed like it was really where it was the Aonuma show. And, right. you know, yeah. you, you hear all these stories earlier about, like, how he was actually hiding stuff, including the art style. <laughs> from Shigeru Miyamoto. That's but, so funny. I love that. But ultimately, it sounds like still Miyamoto was in charge. If he uh, if he wanted to make a change, he could. But it at the same time, he was asking Aonuma, like, hey, are you sure you don't want to change the art style? It's not too late. And Aonuma's <laughs> like, nope, we love this art style. So it sounds like this was really where he did take the reins. So that's definitely a good thing to call out. Um, but I keep referencing this Did You Know Gaming episode. And probably the funniest thing I, I found during my Wind Waker deep dive came from that video so it, they, they, they do a very good, like, dramatic 
reading of this, but one of the younger developers on the team, Toshiaki Suzuki, was named as the the, the development team's tingle specialist. And his <laughs> entire job. job for months on end was just to work on tingle. And uh, it almost reminds me of a Majora's Mask character arc with this guy, because one of the coworkers said, from dusk till dawn, he thought of nothing but Tingle. It drove him crazy. <laughs> and then Suzuki only had one quote in one of these interviews that they translated on Did You Know Gaming? And he said, quote, I've been thinking about nothing but Tingle for these last few months. So please experience adventuring together with Tingle. That was his only <laughs> quote. <laughs> and But Did no. You Know Gaming... There was a redemptive arc to this because Did You Know Gaming did point out that Suzuki was promoted to director of Four Swords Adventure and is currently the producer of the Mario Party series. So it has a happy ending. Yeah, he doesn't have to think about Tingle anymore. That's he does not ending. have to think about Tingle at all. Was, was Tingle even in Four Swords Adventures? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. I think I so because it's kind of like you know, on the Minish Cap track, like Vadi is the villain in that. Mm -hmm. And Tingle's in Minish Cap. His whole family's there. Yeah, so I guess maybe uh, maybe he did have to think about Tingle again for at least that game, but hey, it seems like the <laughs> the uh, the thing that drove him crazy ultimately made made him uh, open some doors for him in his career. Oh, by uh, the way, I just pulled up the Zelda wiki, and Tingle is in Four Swords Adventures. Yeah, I mean, he, he, I guess he has to be if you have the the Tingle specialist directing the game. Will he be in Tears of the Kingdom, Tingle? I feel like, oh man, he does. There's a costume in Breath of the Wild. You could dress as Tingle. Yes, I think, I think he is. I think that's my up. that's my guess. Not him, right? Like a but a, a someone inspired by him who has taken on the the mantle of Tingle. Yeah, a a Tingle, <laughs> the mantle of Tingle. <laughs> yeah, it's like Batman. You know, he wears it his underwear yeah. on the outside. He's got exactly. It. Um, but so we're at the point where. Wind Waker is about to be released, and uh, it came out in the U.S. March 24th, 2003, and uh, wouldn't you know it, it received universal acclaim. 96 on Metacritic, and one of those scores, a 10 out of 10 from uh, Game Informer's Andrew Reiner. Mm. So a uh, very big success, uh, but the, as far as critical anyway, but the sales actually fell pretty far short of expectations. And Nintendo attributed that in large part to the cuter cell shaded graphics and the reception in North America. I but, believe it, man. Like, honestly, like as someone who worked at GameStop at the time, and there were a lot of people who were just like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. You know? I, I was one of those people originally. And then like the reviews and word of mouth eventually pushed me to buy it, but I still didn't finish it ever on GameCube. I, I didn't finish it until uh, Wind Waker HD came out. Oh, okay. So you got the better Triforce quest. Oh, 100%. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but did you know that the Arts and Artifacts book that Nintendo put out for the, the Zelda series? So there's Hyrule Historia, Arts and Artifacts, uh, Crafting a Champion, I think is the Breath of the Wild focused one. Mm -hmm. There's a few different uh, like kind of encyclopedias for the Zelda franchise, including one written by yourself, Kyle Hilliard. What, not, not Nintendo sanctioned, but you have a mm -hmm. Zelda book. Yeah, The Legendary World of Zelda. It's on Amazon, I think. You think? <laughs> Just give you a sure little plug there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Takizawa said that they actually planned a direct sequel to Wind Waker, but people kept yeah, requesting. And then released it on DS. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but people... no, I think this was like going to be like a console game. Yes. So it was yeah. going to be on GameCube, but people kept requesting something closer to Ocarina of Time. So instead of getting what they were planning originally was kind of a more land-based game starring Toon Link, but he was going to be riding around an Epona. 
And they said that one of the reasons they didn't was that, you know, the fan requests and everything. And then the other reason was that like child link just looks weird riding on Epona, especially the tune version of child link. I know we get child link riding <laughs> yeah, around on Epona in, uh, in uh, Majora's mask, but he said that it just looked kind of weird with tune link <laughs> riding around on a horse. So that instead they began work on twilight princess. So that was Wind Waker on GameCube. Um, Any closing thoughts on that before we jump over to the HD version? Uh, No. Yeah, I do. I just I do have fond memories of it. Like I said, being I think the first game I bought, you know, day one and was like, you know, had beaten it before many other people and friends and stuff like that. Like it was one of those instances where I was just like super excited and just like, you know, ripped through it really quickly. But um yeah, it's a great game. Great game. Like I said, kind of lower on my Zelda ranking. I, I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't have that off the top of my head. But um, uh, I it, it's one that I will. I can almost guarantee you, I will play and actually finish if it comes to Switch. You know, yeah. like I, I would love to have it on Switch. I think it's probably my number five or six Zelda game. Oh, so it's pretty high for you. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's it's behind like the mainstays like Breath of the Wild, Ocarina. Link to the Past, Link Between Worlds, but it's probably either next or it's probably next because it, it's I like it more than Twilight Princess. Mm, yeah, I do. I like Twilight Princess more because but, but I like it marginally more, dungeon, more than Twilight I like Princess. The sort of gothic kind of tone of Twilight Princess. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah, I like Wind Waker a lot, and then ultimately it did come to the Wii U in 2013. So this version included the obvious HD improvements, the better better visuals, as well as several other improvements. Uh, but you know, most notably are the ability to more easily change the direction of wind, and then uh, improvements to the twi- the Triforce quest at the end of the yeah. game. That swift sail is a game changer for me because, really like, is. I again, like, I, one of the things that really bugged me about sailing is like I didn't like stopping to change direction you know I, if i want to go left i just want to turn left mm-hmm. you know? and the swift sail uh takes care of that basically it's great really yeah awesome. yeah i think that might also contribute to the the way that i finally finished that game because yeah. it it was painful to try to navigate the uh the the, the sea without having to stop every single time you wanted to change direction yeah n- n- yeah not fun but uh according to daki awamoto or Iwamoto, who only worked on the HD version of Wind Waker on Wii U. Uh, he actually said he didn't pay any attention to Wind Waker on GameCube until it was out. So he was completely out of like the development and reaction loop. And then... Uh, well, so wait, this is someone who was at Nintendo at the time, but wasn't working on Wind Waker? Is correct. That... Okay, got it, got it. But he did not work on Wind Waker and he didn't really pay any attention to like the development of it. He didn't have any awareness of like the public reaction. He just bought it because he's like, oh, there's a new Zelda game. And he he said that like he played it but he was like oh it was good but he had several things that he thought could be improved upon and Aonuma also said that most of the points were brought up by uh Iwamoto that he thought why didn't we do this in the first place that was his quote is like why didn't we do this in the first place and then Iwata responded by bringing up a Miyamoto saying that if you make a game twice it gets better and then <laughs> Iwata always says, or he said that he res- always responded to Miyamoto by telling him, 
quote, yeah, but usually you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that that's not as uh, popular as his quote about a delayed game is as good uh, uh, and a rush game is bad forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that doesn't people don't quote that one as much, I suppose, as if you make it twice, it, you can be good. <laughs> Who, who's making games twice? So uh, one of the big criticisms that Iwamoto brought up was something that a lot of people have said about Wind Waker. And uh, the way that he put it was, quote, the first half is divine but the latter half drags. And Aonuma in that Iwata Asks interview said that that criticism actually always hurt him, so much so that they had tried to make Wind Waker HD five years before they actually did. Or he said that if if they had tried to make Wind Waker HD five years before they did, he might not have had the willpower to take part in it because it hurt for that long, that, that criticism. Oh, right. Like he was just too emotionally close to it to except that it could be improved. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he was like, oh, that... Yeah, because, I I mean, especially considering how hard they had to work to make this game. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I I get it, man. Like, it sounds like the team really did pour their heart and soul into making this game and, like, on the deadlines that they had to. I mean, Um, it shows, right? I mean, it's really... I I feel like I'm almost coming off negative, but, like, it's a a good game. It's a very, very good game. Um, And to convert the game to HD, they actually used a special method where they could convert GameCube data for the Wii U and then make it look better, barely needing to touch the 3D modeling data. And then the result, it's absolutely gorgeous. Wind Waker HD, for especially for being a GameCube game, one of the better looking Wii U games. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a, the advantage, the huge advantage of that art style is it, it, it kind of lasts forever. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind I mean, of like looking and Miyamoto has always known this. It's like looking at, um, you know, Yoshi's Island on the Super Nintendo and, or, and comparing it to like Donkey Kong Country or something, you know, like one of those games holds up visually a lot better than the other, which is all the more reason that it's funny that Miyamoto was one of the naysayers of the art style. <laughs> like, you know? So Aonuma said, uh, quote, upon seeing the Wind Waker HD, I realized that with the original version, we had been trying to make something beyond what the Nintendo GameCube could express. Mm. So that's really interesting to me because of the, uh, you know, it, it looks good on GameCube, but I think it really sings on on Wii U. And ultimately, this is why I want it on Switch, because I bet it would look amazing. Yeah, I mean, I wonder what they're... It's not like they they've haven't talked to... Right? Everyone wants Twilight Princess and Wind Waker on Switch. I know it's not as simple as just like, you know uploading the data to a computer and hitting export as switch game but like <laughs> it seems like man i don't know i i guess tears of the kingdom is going to be their focus for a while but i still would i would really love to have wind waker on my switch soon yeah i, I thought for sure when tears of the kingdom got delayed to this year that they were going to put wind waker and twilight princess on switch last year like last holiday season but yeah that didn't end up great. happening yeah, because I mean, we've gone a couple of years now without any new Zelda stuff, which is rare, you know? Yeah, usually, usually there's, there's some kind of Zelda, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess we got the, the N64 releases, but, you know, from the, the Switch Online catalog, but that's about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, but... Yeah, I guess that counts fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's interesting that the, the art style holds up so well because, you know, we just got Metroid Prime Remastered, which is a remaster of another GameCube game. And that art style looks phenomenal. I was looking at your yeah. uh, your profile the other day on Switch, Kyle, and I noticed you put a little bit of time into Metroid Prime Remastered. And I think it it's one of it's if again, if I I said this, I think when I initially talked about my impressions of that game. 
if you told an uninformed gamer in 2023 that this is a brand new game and like they, you hid the name remastered i don't think they would be like what do you mean this looks so ugly compared to other switch games. i think it's it's a very yeah. good looking switch game yeah yeah i they i think they did a deceptive amount of of work on that game especially with like the lighting and stuff but um i'm with you yeah like that could have totally just been a new if if metroid prime 4 looks like that i'm gonna be happy you know 100 percent. i mean the character models look great the environments look great yeah i'm sure they did some super wizardry with the lighting and everything and you know upresing the textures obviously but the fact that like they they only had to do like minimal changes to the characters and the enemies themselves that's remarkable and it, it really speaks to kind of the enduring visual style of the gamecube era right yeah it's like even looking at like something like super smash brothers melee that game looks good. It, you know, it's not available in HD unless, you know, there's some mods out there I'm sure people could have used, but it's not available in HD in any official capacity, but it still looks good. And I bet if they up it to HD visuals, it would still look very good. Same thing with Mario Sunshine. I know that, like, didn't the Mario 3D All-Stars up that, but... I don't think they did much to it, but I could be wrong about that, yeah. I thought they did widescreen support for it, but I, I could be wrong there. It's been a few years since I turned that collection on. Still very disappointed. Galaxy 2 is not in it. But, yeah. um, you know, there was also for this HD version of Wind Waker, there was talk about those two unused dungeons that didn't make the cut in the original game. And IGN actually asked Aonuma about it. And Aonuma said that he knew that people wanted that included in Wind Waker HD. But unfortunately, those ideas that they had for it were used in dungeons in other subsequent Zelda games. So they couldn't just like be like, hey, let's do it again in Wind Waker HD, even though like they had more time yeah. this time around. I'm sure I would bet, too, that they were cut pretty early. I would assume, right? Like, that they weren't really mapped out in a real way. Like, maybe they were drawn up, you know, but, like, not implemented into the game. I'm talking out my butt. Like, I don't really know anything about development. But um, I would imagine those aren't... They're, they're not, like, a cut scene from a movie, right? Yeah, where, where they like, shot it. Oh, we shot it. it. We just needed to add some, like post-production and then you know we can pop it into the movie and it's good to go it's it's not going to be a situation like that you know i i would i would bet those were probably cut before they were had meaningful work done especially given the, assume, uh, yeah. the timeline that they were on like they, they had no time to waste on making stuff that was just going to be removed um and nintendo is pretty good about planning out their stuff i mean we we see delays from them from time to time i mean look at tears of the kingdom but they are usually they, they've got this this video game development thing down pat i think um, at this point in their history. But anyway, Wind Waker HD came out on Wii U September 20th, 2013. Currently has a 90 on Metacritic. And uh, Dan Reichert reviewed it for Game Informer back in 2013. Gave it a 9.25 out of 10, saying, quote, every change Nintendo has made to this game is smart and serves a purpose. And I envy anyone that gets to experience the Wind Waker for the first time via this remake. It takes everything that made the original a classic and greatly improves on its visuals and quality of play. If you're a fan of classic remakes, you can't ask for much more. What was your, I guess, what, what was your experience with Wind Waker HD? I know you played it a little bit recently, but what what was kind of your impression of that game? Oh, yeah. Very excited for it. Uh, played it a lot, like kind of beelined to the Swift Sale. Um, is that what it's called? The Swift Sale? Where it's kind of a funky extra weird thing. You have to like get it during an auction. I don't remember exactly, but I remember it being like like more complicated than i thought it would be and getting that and sort of like 
almost like breathing a sigh of relief and being like, ah, yes, this thing is great. I'm glad I have this. <laughs> and then I think I just got distracted by other games. It's, it's funny because a lot of the times when they re-release a Zelda, I go into it and I'm like, um, like Skyward Sword and and Twilight Princess on, on Wii U and stuff, where I like, oh, I'm excited for this. I'm going to play the first couple hours and get my fill and then I'm going to move on. But like both Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess I started and I was like, this is so good. This is so great. And I ended up finishing them again, both. But Wind Waker was one where I like played a bunch and I was like, oh, I'm good. You know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll get back to this. And then I never did. And now at this point, it's like, well, I might as well wait for a switch. But like, I mean, generally speaking, like very happy with the Wii U uh, version. I, I think it's really well done. Yeah. I think that it's one of the great examples of how to bring a game forward and make it feel like a, a game that just, it came out this year, right? Like, I mean, I know it's now 10 years old in its own right, but it's still, I, I, I you went back and played it this month and you say it, it still feels great to play and still probably looks good. Yeah. Yeah. It's also it and twilight princess are also arguably maybe some of the best uses of the Wii U mm-hmm. uh, by having like the inventory screen on the, on the Wii U gamepad because then you can, it's just really easy to equip uh, different items and things like that without having so to really go into a pause menu. Um, and it honestly, to the point where it's like, it's a real shame that breath of the wild on Wii U didn't, they, they clearly removed some um, like mechanics to make it more interesting on Wii U that didn't make it so that, so it could be in line with the switch version. Like I think the Wii U version of breath of the wild is hurt by the switch version existing if that makes sense does no, that it totally does sense? yeah because they didn't want that to be the better version yeah yeah so um but like if you like so it kind of makes you know i obviously we're talking about a thing that doesn't exist with the idea of twilight princess and wind waker being on switch but like mechanically like those them the wii u might technically be the best place to play those two games you know seriously i mean it's the same thing with like 3ds with ocarina of time and majora's mask like Having the item inventory on the second screen is amazing. And, and map, it makes it, map too, yeah. The yeah. map, yeah. It it all feels so good without having to go into the pause menu. Because that was, you know, I, I when I we did the Majora's Mask episode a, a few weeks ago, that was a big thing. It's like you have to go into the menu so often to like swap masks around. I didn't play a ton of Majora's Mask on 3DS, but I imagine that it would be so much smoother if I didn't have to open the pause menu every single time. I could just tap the screen below and instantly change masks yeah yeah no it, it is smoother yeah so that, that's the one thing i do miss about the wii u is some second screen stuff i mean i think for every great example of second screen use there's like four awful examples like looking at Star Fox zero for example like just <laughs> right. like if we didn't have that second screen that game could be great but with wind waker hd though using it and showing like the perfect use for that other screen but i I don't think we're ever going back to that (laughs) yeah yeah right but kyle i think that is an episode and a uh, wind waker retrospective any closing thoughts before we wrap this up Uh, no no bring the switch or if if you don't bring the switch tell me you're not going to bring it to switch just commit to it and then i'll just go finish the wii u version that i started playing again the other night um so yeah. Also, we didn't we didn't talk about Ganondorf at all in this, which I think this is one of the one of the better Ganondorfs. Yeah, I love his design. He looks really cool, and he's like a much he's intimidating in a different way than other Ganondorfs, right? Like Ganondorf and Ocarina and Twilight Princess is like 
big scary muscular guy where Ganondorf in Wind Waker feels a little more like mafioso or something <laughs> right kind of just like uh uh just intimidating in a different way um, yeah he's quiet and thoughtful and just where, scary yeah yeah as ocarina of time zelda or ocarina of time ganondorf is kind of like the maniacal like mustache twirling villain this is like the the thoughtful but also like very very scary ganondorf and then when it's time for the the throwdown at the end of the game it's just one of the most intense battles I can think of. Like, I mean, I know the Twilight Princess Ganondorf battle is tough, this but this one tough. I think was the one I had the most trouble with. Actually, I mean, for me, it wasn't even the difficulty of the fight as much as it is the final moment, which we should spoil here. So, if you really don't want to know what happens at the end of Wind Waker, like hit that fifteen second forward button a couple times. But like the whole game is like you know cartoon link the final confrontation with ganondorf is you thrust a sword into his forehead and it's like it really takes you back like uh, like it really surprised me uh in sort of the violence of it um but it was really effective and interesting and cool i think there's even a little bit of blood uh like sort of uh, running down his face which is like it just it's it is surprising considering the context of the rest of the game um but it's really, it's really cool. And isn't he sitting there like laughing, like kind of softly? Like, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I just, for me, it's just that sort of iconography, that still image of the sword just like sticking out of his forehead. That's just like, wow, I did not see that coming. Uh, but it's great. It's really good. It is a very, very good. And like you said, shocking given like yes. kind of the art style and like some of the tones that they had in parts of the game. But yeah. It's a it's a very good game. And if you haven't played it before, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to play today because it's not on Switch. But like the Wii U version is great. Um, the GameCube version obviously is awesome, but doesn't have the quality of life improvements that the Wii U version did. But check it out and hopefully it comes to Switch at some point in the near future. But yeah, Kyle, fingers crossed. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me an excuse to play some Wind Waker. <laughs> Always. And thank you so much to everyone for listening. Do me a favor, if you haven't already, throw All Things Nintendo a five-star review and hit that subscribe button. And if you want to get any questions or comments in, you can get in touch with me at allthingsnintendo at gameinformer.com or you can join the Game Informer Community Discord, which is a perk for subscribing to our Twitch channel, even just for one month. You can also hit me up on Instagram at Brian P. Shea. Kyle, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter... I'm still on there posting stuff. Follow the uh, Game Informer TikTok account. It's it's going well, man. We're almost we're making some good progress over there. Yeah, doing great stuff over there. Get some kind of bite-sized reviews from time to time, and some other clips from various yeah, streams, streams and shows. And I, I, we had a I, yeah gameplay clips, you know, like uh, exclusives and stuff. Like, not a, I mean, st- for example, I posted some Exo Primal gameplay footage before the the big beta went live over there on Twitch on uh, TikTok. So. Uh, game underscore informer on TikTok. Go find something. Go check it out. Uh, that is our show for this week. Thank you again for listening. Take care. We will see you next time.